Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Jesus and his disciples came to Jerusalem a third time. Only the day before, Jesus had entered the temple and caused quite a commotion. He drove out those who were selling animals to be used for sacrifice. He drove out those who were buying animals to be used for sacrifice. He overturned the tables of the money changers. He overturned the chairs of those who were selling. He would not let anyone take animals into the sanctuary. It was quite a scene. Tables flying and animals running, tempers flaring, people shouting, money scattered, the the whole sacrificial system put to a halt. So it should not be surprising that when Jesus came to the temple the next day, he was approached by temple leadership. Religious leaders sought him out. They were probably looking for him, waiting to see if if he was coming to the temple that day. Well, Mark tells us that the chief priests, elders, and scribes came to Jesus. The chief priests consisted of the high priest and members of his family. Elders were leaders who were not priests and belonged to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Scribes were experts in the law, God's law. These three groups made up the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a 71-member council. It served as the religious authority for God's people. It served as a buffer between God's people and the ruling Roman authorities. The Sanhedrin had complete freedom in religious matters, but not in political ones. In other words, these were the movers and shakers in Jerusalem. So this group approaching Jesus in the temple represents the authority and the power and the might of Israel. They approached Jesus to question him. And here was their question. Listen to verse 28 again. By what authority are you doing these things or who gave you the authority to do them? They want to know the origin of Jesus' authority. They want to know the source of Jesus' authority. What gave him him the right to disrupt temple worship? Who gave him the power to overturn tables and, and drive people out of the temple? Well, the implication simply by asking the question is not them. They gave Jesus no authority, and they were charged with overseeing the temple. They were charged with ensuring that worship occurred in the temple. When the manner of a Jewish rabbi, Jesus answers their question with a question. He says he will answer their question once they answer his question. Listen to verse 30 again. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. This is a simple question. It's a question about John. John 
the baptizer, John the Baptist. John was the locust-eating, camel-hair-wearing, wild man of a prophet in the desert. John's ministry was one of preparation. John was sent to prepare the way for God, the coming of God. And to do so, he preached repentance, and he offered a baptism signifying repentance, turning. Jesus wanted to know whether John's baptism was from heaven or man, from God or man. Now, on the surface, his question seems evasive, elusive. They ask him about authority. Why would he ask about John? Well, here's why. John's baptism reveals the source of Jesus' authority. Well, how? Because John's baptism reveals Jesus' identity. John was preparing the way for God, and Jesus came. John baptized Jesus. As Jesus was baptized, the heavens were parted. As Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. As Jesus was baptized, God the Father spoke, saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. John's baptism revealed that Jesus' authority comes from God because that's who he is. He is God, the Son, the eternal Son who became a man, sent by the Father, anointed by the Spirit, equal to both, one with both. So was John's baptism from God or man? And the religious leaders discussed it among themselves. But rather than, than trying to discover the truth, rather than trying to answer in truth, their conversation is simply a strategy session. If they said from heaven, they would appear to support Jesus. If they said from man, it might alienate the crowd. So they answer, we don't know. We don't know. Even this answer is not entirely true. They, they probably had suspicions about Jesus, or at least who Jesus claimed to be, but they're unwilling to engage with him. They're unwilling to question. They're unwilling to seek the truth. They're unwilling to know. They're probably due to a variety of factors. Fear. Doubt. Disbelief. So they decide to suspend judgment. They decide to keep an open mind, which sounds very contemporary, doesn't it? But keeping an open mind is a decision. Suspending judgment is actually a judgment. And that's true in all matters, but, but here we're talking about Jesus. If you are here today and you're not sure about Jesus, his identity, his mission, let me encourage you. Or if you're here today and you know someone who is not sure about Jesus, encourage them in this way. To question, to listen, to seek the truth actively 
actively attend worship, search the scriptures, talk to followers of Jesus. If you're, if you're passive, if you're unwilling, how will you know? How can you know? Jesus says, all that you need is faith like a mustard seed. Even if it's tiny, that's enough. And it will grow. We don't know. They won't answer Jesus's question, so he does not answer their question. But he does speak to them a parable. He tells them a story an allegory, really, about a vineyard. Jesus says a man planted a vineyard. He built a fence around it. He erected a watchtower within it. He dug a pit for the wine press. Then he leased it out. He found some tenants to occupy it, care for it, guard it. Well, our Old Testament reading from Isaiah contains a vineyard. The beginning of chapter 5 is a song about a vineyard. Listen again to the first two verses of that passage. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now, Isaiah says that the vineyard is Israel. The vineyard is the people of God. They they have been given the covenant. They have been given the promises. They've been given the commandments. The owner is God, the Lord. But the vineyard did not produce good fruit. The grapes were wild. Now, the Hebrew here is literally stinking things. You know, the vines produced rotten fruit. So in other words, God's people were not faithful. The Lord expected fruit, a bounty, a harvest, and what he got was rotten. Rather than a fragrant incense pleasing to the Lord, they stank. So the owner tears down the wall, burns the hedge, allowing the vineyard to be overrun and overgrown. Ruined. God's judgment was upon his people. Israel. His judgment was upon them for their unfaithfulness, for their sin against him. And he would carry this out through the nation of Babylon. Well, in Jesus' parable, judgment is not upon the vineyard. Judgment is upon the tenants of the vineyard. Judgment is upon those who were charged to care for God's people, tend God's people, protect God's people, nurture and grow God's people, produce fruit. Rich wine for the Lord. When it was time for the harvest, when it was time for winemaking, the owner sent a servant. Now, some of the fruit, some of the wine was due the owner. This was essentially rent money. But instead of paying rent, they sent the servant away empty. They sent the servant away with nothing except a good beating. Well, then the owner sends a second servant. 
The tenants strike him on the head, treated him shamefully, and again sent him away with nothing, sent him away empty-handed. Amazingly, the owner sent a third servant. They didn't send him away empty-handed. Instead, they killed him, murdered him. Even after this, the owner sent many other servants, and they too were beaten. They too were killed. These servants were the prophets. God sent prophets to his people to preach his word, to call them to repentance, to to turn to him, to encourage them to produce fruit, to be faithful, to follow his commands. And the prophets were often rejected, beaten, killed. And then verse six, the heart of this parable Jesus teaches. Listen to verse six. He had still one other, a beloved son. Now what farmer would send his son, the son that he loved to such tenants? Why would he send his son to such tenants? I mean, at best, the son would be sent away empty handed. At worst, he would lose his life. But the son was more than a servant. The servants were sent relying on the integrity of the tenants, that they would respect those sent by the owner. But the son, on the other hand, was the heir. Besides the father, the son was the only one with legal claim to the vineyard. That's why he says, they will respect my son. Because the son goes in the name of the father. The son goes in the authority of the father and he goes to the father's property to claim what is due the father. Sending the son shows the patience and the compassion of the owner of the vineyard. And after what had been done to his servants, he could have sent soldiers to clear out the vineyard, remove or kill the tenants, but instead he sends his beloved son And when the son arrives, the tenants see an opportunity. If they kill the son, there will be no heir. And when the owner dies, they'll just keep the land. The vineyard will be theirs. So you see, they're not content with having the owner's fruit. They want the vineyard as well. So they kill the son. They kill the beloved, the heir the one with the authority of the father. Now, the tenant's actions may sound shocking, but their world is just like our own. Their world, the world of this parable is no different than our own, full of violence, full of greed, full of arrogance, where any authority but your own is rejected and you take what you want and you take it by force if necessary a world that rejects God, a world that rejects his authority, a world that rejects his claim, a world that seeks to live without him, to act as if he does not exist. But the vineyard belongs to the Lord. God's people belong to him. 
And if those over it, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, if those over it, the Sanhedrin, are not caring for God's people, tending God's people, protecting God's people, nurturing and, and growing God's people so that they are producing fruit, rich wine for the Lord, the Lord will bring judgment on them, remove them, find other tenants. Now, when, Genesis, when Jesus finished speaking, they knew. The chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they knew Jesus was talking about them. They knew that he was speaking against them and they wanted to arrest him. But they didn't because they feared the people. They feared the crowd that followed him, that supported him, that hung on to his every word. So they left, they went away and they planned, they planned how they could destroy him, kill him, which would then fulfill this parable that Jesus just told. Well, Jesus ended his teaching with a quote from Psalm 118, which was our call to worship this morning. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. The son was rejected cast aside, crucified, nailed to a cross. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. On the third day, he was resurrected and he has become the cornerstone, the stone that holds the building together, the stone upon which everything rests. He is the foundation of the vineyard, the foundation of God's people. And through his death, he has expanded the vineyard. Through his death, he has extended the borders so that God's people no longer just include Jews, but also Gentiles, you. By faith, you're saved through Jesus. You're given the covenant through Jesus, the promises in Jesus. Do you believe? If so, you're part of the vineyard. And this was God's plan. This was God's will for all time. This was his plan. This was his will. It's marvelous. Marvelous. Now, your life is a vineyard. God has given you charge over it, to tend it, to care for it, to nurture it, to, to, to grow it. Do you love the beloved son? Are you growing fruit in your life? Are you yielding grapes? Not, not wild grapes or stinking things, but are you yielding rich, ripe fruit? Are you serving? Are you loving? Are you giving the Lord what is due him? Are you, do, you, do you reject his authority? Do you reject his ownership? Are you keeping the fruit for yourself? Know this, he is patient, compassionate, he has given you his word, the prophets. 
He's given you his son. The cornerstone was rejected for you, died for you, so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Will you then give him what is due? Give it to him freely, joyfully. The church is also the Father's vineyard. You all are the Father's vineyard. Do you love the beloved Son? Are you producing fruit, serving, loving your neighbor, your community, your city, the world? Officers, officers of the church, elders, deacons, pastors, are you tending your charge? Are you caring for the vineyard, guarding the vineyard, nourishing and growing the vineyard? For the Father, for the Son, through the Spirit, so that the Lord will have his due, which is all glory and honor and majesty from his people, his people who are saved through the rejected cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 